In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the Gospel certainly speaks to Edith Stein. Because like Nicodemus, she was a scholar. She knew the Jewish law, although she didn't practice it. And she was twice born in many, many ways. She died, Sister Teresa Benedict of the Cross. But who was she? She was a Jewish convert, that's very clear. But she was also a well-known philosopher, a phenomenologist. Phenomenology is the branch of philosophy that suggests that what you feel as an experience has an intrinsic reality, and that's as far as I'm gonna go. We're not going down the rabbit hole of phenomenology, because it's complicated. Let's jump ahead a little. This has to do with the Roman Catholic Church. All churches have funny ways of doing things. We do, they do. Institutions accrue rules. In this case, it has to do with how you make a saint. Everybody knew she was special. But they needed to put her in the right box. And that set my teeth on edge. The Roman Church requires two attested first-class miracles, usually healing of some sort, after somebody has asked this dead person uh, to intercede for them, but it sure does look like praying to them. It gets a little muddled there. In Eden's case, two people came forward and said they had been healed. The church investigated their claims. I don't know how they do this. And accepted them. Then became the problem, what kind of saint should she be? Well, she was a monastic and she did die in the gas chambers of Auschwitz. But that wasn't good enough. Ultimately, they had to... Um, land on a couple of things. What had she written? She had written critically about the Nazis, both anti-Semitism and uh, their uh, abuse of power to all people. Uh, she wrote a letter to who was then Pope, never got an answer. Um, she also wrote that through Mary, Jesus had Jewish blood in his human veins. And so anti-Semitism was blasphemy. What was more important to the church to nail her name to a kind of saint was something that the bishops at Holland had done. They had come out publicly decrying the Holocaust. They wrote a letter, a pastoral letter that was read in every single parish, just ripping the Nazi regime. You have to remember that in World War I, Holland was neutral. And at the beginning of the Nazi regime, they basically left alone converted, um, most converted, but especially nuns, monks, and, and clerics. Uh, the Nazis were very particular about breeding more uh, Jews. That class of people had taken vows of celibacy. They weren't a problem. 
Uh, in fact, they even let some women who had proven hysterectomies go if they were useful in other ways, like working in the offices. However, on 10 May 1940, Team Mayfietic, the Nazis invaded Holland. I remember that date well. That was the day I was born. It made signing into hotels in the time that I spent in Holland and that was considerable time a little dicey. They would look at my passport and the date of my birth and their faces would all screw up. Yeah, I was born the day the Nazis marched in. The church chose to use the bishop's statement to weave a story that Sister Teresa Benedicta was a martyr because she died proclaiming the faith. What I say is that everybody who died, shot and thrown in an open ditch, gassed in the boxcars, or in the showers of Auschwitz was a martyr. The word martyr means witness. And every one of them was a witness to the injustice and sinful nature of man against fellow man. But I was still asking, who is Edith Stein? Who is this woman? Let's take a little time travel to the beginning of Stein's life. I was attracted to it because hers was very much like mine. I ticked off all the little boxes, a Jewish family, some of them were religious, but she was brought up as a secular Jew. What is a secular Jew? We're Jews, we have Yasha Heifetz. <laughs> it's nothing to do with God. It has to do with scholarship. Scholarship and uh, skills in the arts and sciences are held up as holy, uh, things to attain. She was a student of Husserl at the university, was a very well-known philosopher. Uh, her primary subject in, of her dissertation in phenomenology was the discussion of empathy. After she completed her PhD, she expected to be able to produce it. They have a whole process. You produce, you show them the, uh, your, your dissertation, she already had the degree, and they pat you on the head and then they give you a tenure track uh, position. But she was a woman and they wouldn't even read it. So she continued to teach in various places and somewhere along the line, she found herself attracted to the work of Teresa of Avila and was deeply affected by it. The next step was conversion to Christianity in the Roman Catholic Church. She immediately desired to follow St. Teresa as a discalced Carmelite. Discalced Carmelites are members of the Carmelite order who in the counter-reformation of the 16th century, uh, Teresa and one of her students, John McCross, decided that the Carmelites had lost their way and they needed to be much more um, as, as Francis had shown, uh, close to poverty and serving the poor and contemplative prayer. And this affected uh, Edith enormously. She immediately wanted to join after her baptism the uh, discalced Carmelites. They said, no, 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 it's too soon. Give yourself a little time. 
So let's not rush into this. So she spent about 10 years teaching in Catholic universities. At some point, she was allowed to enter a Carmelite community, and she even got as far as making her life profession before the world turned completely upside down for her. She had presentient visions that she would die in a concentration camp. At that point, there was no reason to believe she would. She began to train herself with the ascetic disciplines of not eating all her food, not wearing all her habits, her clothes, layers. This can get pretty warm. She minimized what she wore. She slept on the floor. She wouldn't use a blanket. She was preparing to survive in a concentration camp. She believed that God had told her that her death was an atonement for the Jewish people who had refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now this was either discernment from God and the Holy Spirit, or it was the father of lies whispering a crazy story to her. But she was a phenomenologist and she had to believe that was her deepest belief and therefore it was her truest discernment and it was a gift of God. And her superiors accepted it. They saw that it was true. Seeing how her life did play out, if you were looking for a true miracle, this prophetic knowledge was one. I mean, never mind somebody thought that she healed them after her death. This is the stuff of, of, of prophets. She was still in Germany at the time, but when it got a little rough, even for converted Jews in, in Germany, uh, her uh, community sent her and her sister, who had also converted, uh, off to Holland, which they believed would be safe. Remember, it was a neutral country. Well, that didn't work. At the beginning, the Nazis were giving the religious converts a pass. And then something happened. That's when the bishops wrote this letter that just ripped the Nazis and they did not like that at all. And the high command or the, the, uh, those who were in command in Holland pulled the plug. And they said all Jews converted or not are going to be scooped up and eliminated. You, you have to know how methodical the Nazis were. I know a great deal about this because my first serious relationship was with a woman who was Dutch and half Jewish, and she and her sister had survived the war. And she survived the war because both her parents were in the resistance, and not only that, but her mother, with her husband's approval, had two lovers. One was the head of the SS, one was the head of the resistance. So she got all the information in advance. And every time that, that her daughters were listed to be picked up, she hustled them off to the convent. It was like that. The Nazis were very methodical. 
it was, you know how we used to have to move our letter from one parish to another? Well, in Europe, it was like that from town to town. Everybody had to sign in. If you moved, you signed in. And you had to have permission to move pretty much. So the Nazis had at their disposal all the, the, the community records, all the passports, all the, um, all the lists of people who lived anywhere. They could go and pick out and put on a, a list who they wanted to pick up that day. And if somebody was hiding in a comment, uh, they would just move the name down to the next list. Um, it was frightening. It wasn't just a bunch of wild, crazy people like um, January 6th. It was like the crazy people in advance who had made the plans. The Nazis were like that. They made plans and they had lists. So it was very easy to find Edith Stein and her sister Rosa. They knew where she was. So they rounded her up. Uh, Edith, her sister Teresa Benedicta, was given an opportunity to escape. She was a very famous philosopher and theologian. People were pleading for her around the world, but she couldn't do that. She would follow the cross. I wonder if she'd been convinced to live another 30 years if she could have not developed her scholarship to complete the work that she had begun bringing Thomas Aquinas, Duns Scotus, and other great medieval theologians into a new theology, a new understanding of God, but she couldn't do that. She and her sister were transported and died in the showers at Auschwitz. I firmly believe that at her end, she was given the gift of grace, the presence of Christ Jesus, and the peace which passes all understanding, and that she died in joy, bringing peace and light to those who died around her. And I still ask, who was she? I believe to her end, she was a conflicted woman. Inner conflict is very often uncomfortable, but it's very often the fruit of great creativity in whatever field, in science, in philosophy, in art. And I believe she was conflicted and that drove her. She wrestled with her Jewishness and her Catholicism, trying to find a place where they, they could merge together or at least find a path between them or through them. It isn't easy to move between cultures, especially strong cultures that draw on the same place of the heart. She was a fascinating woman, a great theologian and philosopher, but it was her choice to be a, a discalced Carmelite and to give her life following the cross of Jesus. She searched for truth and found love. But both, not either or, that's what the um, Pope who uh, gave the homily for her canonization in 1998 said, is that one without the other was incomplete and that she followed both, truth and love. But her mind and heart were always in conversation, if not in conflict. 
Her vows of religion always pulled her towards the simplicity of yielding to love, but in truth her mind was never stilled. It is the blessing and the curse of philosophy and theology which often gets in the way of God. So without looking or expecting a first-class miracle, let us just say, Sister Teresa Benedicta, pray for us conflicted souls. Teach us how we may follow the cross with singleness of heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Uh-huh.